Welcome to another Energy Crew podcast with me, your host, J.P. Warren, and we are uh, recording this at the very beautiful, was it Lakeside Country Club? Is that right? It is. Lakeside Country Club on a, on a, on a Tuesday afternoon, November 16th. Sounds about right. Sounds about right. And all that stuff. And I'm glad we got to schedule this. So, uh, so for, for those of you that are listening, first off, thanks for tuning in and, and, and checking out a Energy Crew uh, podcast. I know there's a lot of uh, options out there, but I think this one has a Enough of the business, enough of the bullshit for y'all to, to y'all to handle. So we appreciate that. And actually sitting here today, we have, uh, why don't you all introduce yourself first off? Who wants to go first? Nick, why don't you John, go first? Okay, I'll go first. Uh, Nick Patterson, CEO of Delmar Systems. Uh, super excited to be here. Thanks for inviting us, JP. Well, thanks for ha- hosting us. John Murphy, consultant with Delmar Systems. John Murphy. Glad to be here. John, I just, first off, we're going to go down our history here in a little bit, which I'm pumped about. All right. I knew we would. Oh, we are, brother. You, I actually, I don't know, I'm not sure if you've, well, first off, let me kind of get, let me kind of frame up where we're doing this right now. We're going to film, we have some technical difficulties filming right now, but where we're sitting right now, I think this is like the the wine room or locker room or something like that. We have a nice bottle of Dakota Shy 2019 Cab Savignon, if you will. And uh, cheers, y'all. Let's get to this. I'm, I'm excited for this podcast. Yeah, fun. So there usually, usually we have a lot of uh, we have a lot of uh, you know people that work on the onshore side of the market. You know, we have you know it's it's everything. But I love getting kind of the offshore side of things because that's kind of where I, that's where I broke out. And you know this, John. So John, so the history about this, John. I don't know if you've listened to this podcast before. And if you have, you would have texted me before. Okay. Usually on podcasts, people ask how I got into what I why I got my career path started. I don't know if you know this. All right. I'm listening. You, you don't know this? Go ahead. I'm listening. So when I started off at Noble in 2005, okay, there were a couple people kind of that, 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 that uh, at, at the company kind of helped me, I guess, uh, uh, in my career path, you know, kind of making decisions, what to do, what not to do. You know what I mean? Kirk Axon was there, you know, Carrick Payne was there. And, and actually you, Mike Nesmith and Kurt Hoffman. That's correct. All right. So I remember, I remember looking up, you know, it was like 2007 or something like that. I was kind of an HSC for about two years at that time. And this group, it was Murphy, Mike Nesmith, and Kurt Hoffman. These cats were like the mad men, all right? That, you know, I'm like 27 years old, you know, coming back from like, you know, I don't know, Little Woodrow's on a Tuesday, whatever. And, all, you know, these cats would walk down the hallways in suits. Like, they're always doing like these power business lunches. Like, always just like, you know, walking by their offices. Like, they had their own little kind of like... Little, little section back there. And it was always just like good bullshit. It was good banter. It was good conversation. It was, it was, I'm like, that's what I want to do. I don't know what they do, but that's what I want to do. And so it was from you. And I remember I was talking to you about it kind of in the beginning of my career. I'm not sure if you remember these conversations. I always ask, you know, how do you get to do what you do? How do you do what you do? How do you talk to people? How do you talk to? Like, Cause you've got the gift of gab. And I love that about I you. I remember, I remember you asking many times. So there was a, so you were actually kind of the, uh, the, the uh, huge part of my career and kind of my career choices early in my career that kind of led me to where I'm at today. So I'm like, I'm very excited. That first off that, that we're sitting here together, you know what I mean? Because we, this is what, 15 years uh, yes. we've known. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. I'm glad to hear it. JP. You didn't know all this stuff? Uh, I, I knew a little bit about it. I knew that uh, we had good conversations back then and I'm proud to see where you, where you ended up. And then we had some, and we found each other over in the Middle East together. That's unbelievable. Yes. Yes. And you were marketing then. I was. Yes. You, you, you found your dream. Found the, found the dream still going. And thanks to you and Nick. And, and I didn't, I, I found this out, you know, before this, I was looking at our LinkedIn profile and we actually kind of, our, our career paths until a certain point were kind of the same way. Cause I was in the ops trainee program over at Noble. Right. And you were over in the ops trainee program over, it was called something else. Transocean. It was called the AOMP program. Uh, and they designed it for military personnel at that time. 
I was really fortunate uh, in, in that aspect to get offshore. Uh, I worked in the strategy department before then, and uh, we'll talk about a lot of names. I'm not trying to name drop, but there was a leader of no, Friends Ocean at the time. Uh, it, well, his name was Stephen Newman, a super, super nice guy. But he said, you know, what do you want to do? And I said, I'd love to go work offshore. Okay. And he said, are you sure you understand the dedication and the sacrifices for doing that? And I said, yeah, I mean, I get it. It's two weeks on, two weeks off. Never stepped foot on a rig before. Ever. So what, 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 what was the drive behind that? Man, I tell you what, uh, I came to, uh, to Houston uh, from Arkansas to be a natural gas trader. Okay. Did that for about nine months. And I said, I, I just don't want to do this anymore. Why? Uh, you sat at your desk about the width of this table that we're sitting at. And there was computer screens around you. Um, and I just said, I'm, I'm too energetic of a person, too much of a people person. Okay. Don't want to do it. So I, I looked at Transocean. And they had these massive ships with this dual derricks. And I just thought to myself, man, how cool is that? Uh, and I applied for a corporate planning job. Had no clue what I was getting into, right? And the, really the rest is history. So that was the first time you kind of learned about the oil and gas industry. That's correct. Okay. I knew about it from natural gas trading, but more on the power generation side of things. Right. Not, not uh, actually the nuts and bolts and kind of how the process of kind of extracting it. No, no clue. Okay. Didn't know you had drill pipe that attached to some collars that attached to a bit. And you that it could it bend? Yes. That it could bend? That's crazy. That blew my uh, mind. Yes. Uh, so fascinating. Uh, that's for sure. So, you, so, you, so you, you see Transocean, you see these rigs offshore and all that stuff, and you're like, that's kind of what I want to do. I want to I figure out what, what's going on out there. I want to work that rig. That's correct. Okay. So kind of tell me, what, what was that like kind of getting out there? I tell you what, it was, uh, it was amazing. I'll never forget, you know, when the helicopter circles the rig, I was looking out the window like a kid in a candy store, and I just thought, oh, my gosh. We've been buying and selling these things for 18 months now and running these models and never knew it was a size. Uh, but I touched down, <clears throat> really funny story, uh, and I just want to touch on this. We touched down on the helipad. You know, you, you get your bag and you walk down the stairs and you're, you're kind of in that, uh, that, that waiting room. Uh, oh, yeah. They, yeah. And the HSC person's making you accounted for, well, you know, I'm the corporate spy because I'm coming from the office to the rig. Right. Yeah. I, that, was, that was my name. And I'll never forget it. This, uh, this uh, gentleman in probably his early 60s comes up and uh, pretty, pretty weathered fella. His name was Otis Gordy. Uh, oh, never forget it. He's the OIM. Uh, and he just looks at me and says, probably should get some sleep. You're on the night shift, 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. And I just thought, oh, my God, what did I get myself into? But, uh, you know, that was my first experience on a rig. And uh, uh, Otis, after we kind of broke the mold with, with him, he was a wonderful mentor for my, for my two years off. He was, you, def man, he was you awesome. definitely, cause I kind of, so I went from the, on the OMDP program, you know, whatever the, the, the fast track program, the OMDP program, whatever you want to call it, where you rotate through various positions. Right. right? And then you have a week off and you have a week onshore where you're following the rig manager, yep. some places the superintendent at Noble. Right. I remember going out there and you're right. There was that sort of mistrust. Like, well, okay, why is this person really out here yes. and all that stuff? But I'll tell you one thing. I, I'm like, I'm just out here to learn yes. and work. That's it. There's no real spies in the room. You know what I mean? Like there's no position at any corporate there'd be a spy out there going yes. out there but it was a good time i had fun out there i had a blast uh who was your favorite person uh on your drill cruise because i'm assuming you got sent to like an a b c d type crew no i stuck i stuck with uh i was i, was, I think it was b okay see, I, I stayed b i, I was, was on, Noble I was on c guard. crew okay uh, who was your who was your favorite person uh on b crew Man, that's that's a tough thing to say. I, I love probably about five or six of them for very different reasons. But I have to say, Jonathan Moody was great out there. Philip Daigle always just kept the the light going. Um, um, uh, Dane uh, cooked and all that. There's just a bunch of when I when, when I got roughneck, 
when I got roughneck and all that stuff, it was the drill and there's, it was the three or four uh, roughnecks that were out there with me that really made it a good time. And they, yes. and they were, and they always taught me and all that stuff. Of course, I always mess with them, ask them the stupid questions. Like, does that cotter pin, that's, that's what keeps the drill pipe together, right? And he's like, no, JP, come on, man. <laughs> no, man. And I remember always, I would always, it was always fun. Cause like you're out there, you're a family, you always kind of like teen, you always mess with each other. You that's know what correct. I mean? Yeah. It yeah. A lot of, a lot of good times. Uh, yeah, a lot of good times. So how long did you do that for? <clears throat> Just under, uh, well, about, about 18, 19 months. Okay. Is uh, all I got out there. And it's kind of interesting because uh, Jess Richards, who's now over at Transocean, okay. uh, was the rig manager at the, uh, at the time of the Discover Spirit, which I was, uh, which I was working on. And, uh, man, he was awesome on shore as well. But after about 18, 19 months, they pulled me back in. Um, actually, Terry Bono, who was in marketing, called me over Thanksgiving and said, are you ready to come into marketing? And I was like, I was like, sure. Sounds, uh, sounds great. You know, when do I start? Uh, so 18, 19 months to answer your question. So that's how you got into marketing. John, talk to me. And give my, me, give me your, give me your elevator pitch on how you're, you're where you started, kind of where you've oh, been, how you got to, how you got into marketing. We'll try to cut it short. Oh but man. 1981. I went offshore as a roustabout, noble driller. Really? Yes. Uh, worked for a man, Named Harold Mask, and the drill crew was uh, Sam Turner was our driller. Okay, and uh, great people. And uh, basically, it was a platform rig, Rig Thirty was what it was called Noble Rig Thirty. Where'd you crew change out? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, out of Venice. Okay, yeah, yeah out of Venice and uh, PHI helicopters. And that's what we back we in eighty one. Back in eighty one, and again, it's uh, I, I got in the office probably about three months later. I, I did roust about, and they call it a, a trainee program, right? Uh, uh, a young man was like 27 years old. Uh, they had created this trainee position and then they created this uh, training coordinator position. And uh, he actually had a, an aneurysm and passed away. He was only 27 years old. And, uh, and they started looking for someone to take his job and, and I ended up getting that job and moving to the office. And then from there, I, I worked for people like Lewis Duggar yeah. in the safety uh, department. He was the superintendent. And been with the company 40 something years 43 years actually but he was uh one of the original uh men that was uh, uh at sherwood forest you know for noble oh Dwayne. yeah the, so, the uh yes. the uh the world war ii yes. where we sent uh, yes. roughnecks over there that's yeah. correct so i mean he was a, a a hell of a man a good man uh very intelligent what was that like in 81 working offshore real quick i want to get a little backstory on that and then i want to turn it to you yeah it was uh it was tough i mean the crews were tough uh they came from everywhere again, Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, uh, but it was family, you know. Yeah. And, and they were they took care of each other, but they worked hard. I mean, I've never seen people work so hard. That was back when the uh, uh, we weren't. I don't think working so smart back then. We were working hard, you know. So uh, we were we were making some changes and, and developing people, but it was a. Uh, Get after it. That was back when the uh, was it the men were made of steel and the derricks were made of uh, wood. Well, it was tough, almost <laughs> not that bad. Wait, did, almost. You know what line yeah. I still use to this day? Didn't you say yeah. then one time you're like, my first job in the oil field was shooting woodpeckers at derricks. Exactly. <laughs> it wasn't that bad, but yes, it was. Yeah, it was rough times, but uh, but again, uh, yeah. So, but eventually, you know, years ago, I worked in safety for a long time. Uh, and that's what I told you. Uh, safety's a it's a sales job, also. Yeah, it is. And so my job was going around and seeing all the the rigs that we had, and I got to visit everybody and, and night, day, uh, weekends, holidays. We did it all, Ben. And it just uh, was a, a pleasure to to do that. 
and then eventually I got uh, got a, an opportunity to go into marketing. And so that's why I was telling you when you worked with us back then, you know, the chance could come, you know, because you were in safety at the time. So, and I, I was I was waiting for that, but then Macondo happened. Yeah, yeah. I had left to go to the Middle East uh, when it all that's happened. Right. That was, that's right. That's right. I was fortunate to get away from the Gulf. Can we just take a step back real quick? The Sherwood, uh, Sherwood Sherwood Secrets of Sherwood Forest is a book that's out, and it has uh, all the photographs and things, but uh, about it, and it's uh, interesting. Do you know about it? I'm not familiar with it. That's why I was curious about you. So, do you know the the history? You want me to murder? Go ahead. Go ahead. Go go with it. I know some of it. Go ahead. Okay. So this is kind of what I know right now. I may be completely wrong, but. That's okay. You know what I mean? So back in World War II, uh, the oil supply over for the Allies was extremely low, right? They were running out of oil uh, to kind of fuel the tanks, fuel the cars and all that stuff. And um, America's uh, contribution, one of our contributions, I think before we uh, entered the war, I think it might have been before. It was happening. It was happening. So we sent um, over derricks and we sent over men. We sent over uh, people that actually knew how to drill wells and all that stuff to Sherwood Forest where, oh. uh, yeah, where Ro- uh, Robin Hood uh, was based out of. So yeah. okay. there was a, there was a, a pe- there's actually a statue of a roughneck in Sherwood Forest. And I think there's one over here as well Great. because we helped the war effort by sending over not just troops, not just ammo, not just this and that, but the whole field. Very, uh, yeah. very, very cool. Uh, I didn't, uh, I didn't. I didn't realize that. Yes, it's a it's a book. It's a, I'll share that with you, but it's a really good book called Secrets of Sherwood Forest. And again, uh, yeah, they drilled at nighttime. Uh, oh yeah, that's no right. lights. I mean, they were out there. It Man, was, that's that, that's it really cool. Tough living. They yeah. lived in a monastery. You know, the guys did. Uh, they had rough rough uh, the meals. They ate what the people ate, and of course, they would burn a lot of calories, so they weren't really getting fed that that good during that time. It was tough. And you, you had the opportunity to work with some of I these guys with, in your I work, career. I worked with uh, I worked for a man named Lewis Duggar, and he was he was one of their main people there. Lewis so Duggar was of it. He was there. I yes. didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. The photographs of them, uh, it's it's amazing to see these guys. What they did. But uh, it was a risk for them, you know, and, and uh, they took it. JSA is out the window. Yeah. Hey, listen, that's what I love about our about our industry is we've got all these really neat uh, stories that sometimes you just don't hear. About. You don't so, hear about it. That's There's a, so much history. Yeah, it's a, it's it's incredible. Uh, but listen, Happy Veterans Day! I know you served. And in the you Marine, too. And I know you served in the Marine Corps. And Happy Veterans Day <laughs> to everybody that uh, and that, that deal, dealt with Sherwood Forest on helping the the forces there. Did yeah. you, were you were you military? Uh, I was uh, I was yes. in the Army, which okay. is the more elite branch than the Marine Corps. Of course, of course, of course. Yeah, we go get drink a little wine and talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's for after the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, so. So, t- so tell me about your, I guess, career path, because I know that you, you, you've been offshore kind of your, your, except for a blimp of like, what, 18 months or something like that when you're in Midland. Uh, well, here's the, here's the funny thing. Uh, well, I've bounced around all the drilling contractors. Uh, my wife makes fun of me and she says, we won't say what she, she tells you, I, tells me I am, but uh, I've worked for Transocean, I know. Uh, okay. Diamond Offshore, um, Atwood, uh, Helix, and now at Delmar Systems. But the interesting thing about Delmar Systems, it's owned uh, by one individual uh, who also owns a saltwater disposal business in uh, New Mexico. Okay. In Eddie and Lee County. So uh, they brought me in uh, on that part of the business as well to help with the commercial side. Okay. Uh, which was uh, wonderful. And that's where I ended up getting that experience uh, out in Midland. So, so I've flown out to Midland a couple times, but uh, well, we're really flying to Carlsbad. 
Okay. Uh, and we've got seven saltwater disposal wells over there uh, in Del Mar, essentially owned 70%. And so that's how kind of how you were kind of a, hey, look, you know, Nick, we need, we, 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 would, you, would you want to come over to Del Mar? Was that kind of how that worked out? Uh, no, it's quite interesting. When I was at Atwood, uh, we dealt with Del Mar for the mooring equipment. Yep. Uh, and when Atwood was sold to Insco, which was now Valeris, um, you know, I had a, a little, I went to Helix cause I thought, oh, I could do well intervention. I actually followed one of my old bosses who I, who I respect. Um, and it just didn't work out, but you know, the opportunity presented itself at Del Mar and I said, you know what, man, it's mooring. Uh, I don't really know a lot about it. Uh, unfortunately, uh, coming from an offshore drilling contractor, I know more about thrusters, right. engine power, but, uh, it was a great opportunity. Uh, I took it. And uh, really, the rest is history. You know what I love about the offshore industry, and trust me, that's I, I have a uh, that's where my heart is. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of where I broke out. That's where you know the people, the mentors that kind of uh, that's right. projected me in my career and all that stuff. But what I love about the offshore industry, like you know, it's it's so small. It is a lot smaller than the Houston oil field mm -hmm. or like the the West Texas because people do kind of move around to different locations or you, you interact with them enough at different, you know, IDC conferences or wherever that is. So you get the opportunity though, to not only just, you know, meet all these people, but you had the chance to kind of be in the cultures of different companies as well. Yes. So, uh, the, the guy that we work for owns seven different companies. Okay. So you can hop around to each of the companies. They're not oil, all oil field services related, but that was the neat thing is we got to go from offshore moorings. And when it was bad, we went to the, to the onshore side of things okay. to get revenues uh, with our saltwater disposal wells. Uh, and we thought that, that that play would work out well. But met a lot of really cool people in, in New Mexico and Carlsbad and Hobbs and uh, Midland out of, out of all places. So No, there's some uh, good people out there. Oh, look, great, great people. And I didn't mean anything disrespectful, but oh, no. Midland out of all places. I just never thought as an offshore guy. I would ever be in West Texas, right? I, I learned about this West, West right. Texas oil fields and those type of things. The just Midland never, Mafia. Just never thought I'd get out there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they've got the oil field mafia. The Midland uh, Mafia. Yes, that's a real thing. It's a real thing. That's right. It is. So, so you you kind of I think since February 2021, you took the you, you took over the role as a chief executive officer. That's correct. Is that correct? And so that's February 2021. So that's a couple, how many months ago? That's about nine. Yeah, it's called months, eight or nine. Eight nine months ago. So that's kind of when the pandemic was still kind of occurring. I mean, we weren't out of it yet. No, we weren't out of it yet. So what was that? So what kind of challenges were you faced with, I guess, stepping in this role after, after a pause on pretty much a shutdown on everything for 18 months? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, COVID, um, you know, being an international business, right? COVID had so many impacts for us. Uh, for example, one of our biggest and best contracts is in Australia. Um, and you couldn't get people in and out of Australia. It was a lockdown. Yeah. If you're an Australian citizen, you couldn't leave. So, you know, if you were U.S. or U.K. or whatever nationality you were, you couldn't get into Australia unless you quarantined for 14 days in one territory. Uh, and then you had to fly into another territory. You'd have to quarantine another 14 days still with inside of Australia. So 28 days in quarantine. And, oh, yeah, by the way, they were only allowing about 150 to 200 people a day inside of Australia. So we dealt with a tremendous amount of people issues. Uh, the customers, though, were, were fantastic. Right. They, they really worked with us. Um, they were very kind and paying for uh, hotels and lodging for our crews. We ended up splitting it with a lot of them. Um, but logistically, it was a, it was a nightmare we Sounds like to, it. to get through it. Um, that was one of the challenges. Uh, and then we said, hey, listen, we're not challenged enough. Uh, let's go out there and see if we can't. Uh, grow our business in a COVID time because we had a lot of cash on our balance sheet. And uh, we ended up 
picking up our uh, our second largest competitor, uh, Ryhoff Group, which consisted of Ryhoff Anchors and Deep Sea Boring. Um, and that turned out to be uh, a blessing in disguise because they had full offshore crews, Australia, Norway, and the UK. So then we didn't have to put our put our people on planes anymore. And uh, and we were able to pick them up at a pretty good value. So what kind of, I mean, I, I, look, you're, you're going out there, obviously, the, you know, the world's not doing anything. We don't know what oil is at. Oil just kind of was, you know, not that far back was, you know, negative 37. The, the Gulf of Mexico offshore market's been a nightmare for as long as I can remember. It might not be that way anymore, but I remember, you know, my recent history is that it was very difficult to do. And you're making a decision to go out there and grow during a time when I guess the, the, the future was so uncertain. So I guess what, uh, what was, I guess the, uh, Hey, let's do this moment or we, we should do this moment for you. Confidence in the oil and gas industry, right? Um, Dig that. the hydrocarbon is going to be here for 50, 60, 70, 80 years, right? Yep. Um, it's not going anywhere regardless of what people say. Uh, you know, we're firm believers that you need to have, uh, an energy mix. Some I of that's that. wind, some of it's solar, but a lot of it's predominantly going to be natural gas and oil. Yep. So we said, you know what? It's not, it's not going anywhere. This is a great opportunity for us to acquire a great company, which we've been looking at for a very long time. But I remember uh, my wife was pushing a, a, a stroller and I was walking with her. I said, God, are, are we, have we lost our mind? And she said, yes, you've absolutely lost your mind. Uh, oil last month, if, if I can just remind you, uh, was at negative 40 and you were yelling at me, hey, come in. You gotta, you gotta see this. It's negative. I've never seen it before. Uh, and literally the next month you're, uh, you're, you're, you're buying a company and you're spending a lot of your cash flow. So nerve wracking, uh, to say the least, uh, it's been one of the best things, uh, I think that Delmar's done in a really, really long time. John, what's, what's your assessment of it, uh, from an outsider looking into kind of some of the things we did there? I say an outsider, well, I apologize it, as a consultant and somebody's yeah, got a tremendous I'm amount of experience, but no, it's, a. uh, uh Drilling contractors have to do the same. They have to look at things you know, long term. You just you can't look at you know, short term. You have to have that plan, but you have to have that long uh, term plan. And uh, uh, it takes guts to do it. And uh, you, know, you reach down in there and you did it, and uh, it's paying off. So uh, it's it's not a easy thing to do. But uh, companies do it. Uh, the operators they have to think long term. Yeah. They're not thinking just short term. So when you have those bad. Uh, rates and oil prices you gotta you still gotta keep focusing what the future is but to me i think i, I think an important part too is right right now what you're bringing up i mean look I, everyone says look, we're on the same boat we're not in the same boat That's we're cool. in the same storm not in the same boat so when, whenever something like this is facing our industry or whether it's it's whether it's your onshore offshore whatever operator rig contract or service line to me communication is paramount uh to 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 all be in that same storm. It's, it's so crucial to have communication with your customers, with your vendors, whoever that is across the board. So true. Uh, I, I'll tell you, communication has been one of the things that's allowed us to get through it. Uh, it's, uh, it's been trying on a lot of employees worldwide and they have just, man, they have risen to the challenge. Uh, I think about Australia and the constraints that they've had. Uh, I think about Norway and the constraints that they've had. Think about our operations in uh, Central America and the constraints that they've had. It's been communication and saying, hey, John, are you doing this? JP, yeah. are you doing this? You know, what's our overall vision as we move forward? And, and I'll tell you, uh, it's really uh, put a lot of employees in the limelight that never thought they would be there. And I'll tell you, uh, it makes me proud to work for Delmar Systems to see these people step up to the plate and say, you know, that's not my day-to-day -day job, but 
uh, I'm willing to tackle that task right. and uh, make sure it's done successfully. And that's been really neat uh, in this in this time that we're that we're living. Mr. Murphy, yes. Let me ask you a question. I'm so you've you you were at Noble for, since '81, right? You got into marketing. You've been you've been you've been dealing with these customers and all that stuff and all that. Now you're 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 at uh, you know Del Mar and all that stuff. So you're kind of talking to your old buddies, right? It's that's interesting. Yes. So what, what, what is that like for you? And I, it's, I would it's been, it was, it's been a, a, an honor to do it. Number one, yeah, I retired in uh, 2016. Okay. Four months later, I was getting called, you know, you want to work with Del Mar's consultant and, and basically uh, call on the contract. Yeah. I said, oh, man. I said, yes. I, I mean, it's, it's, it worked out great. It was a challenge because, uh, you know, uh, all the different companies that we have, but we still have the same uh, goals. Yeah. And it's been fun. I mean, the, my competitors and, you know, now my customers. And so it was a uh, really unique. That's a fun conversation to have though. And it was a fun guy. They were like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And, and so it was, it was, uh, it was a, a challenge at first. And, uh, but uh, again, accepted and, and moving on and, and everybody's been really good with me, but I understand what they're going through and the challenges that they have. And, but now uh, it's become, you know, it's, it's, they have some big, what we were talking about earlier, their challenges, do they get the equipment and purchase that equipment that's going to cost a lot of money yep. and when, when there's not a lot of revenue coming in. So they have big decisions to make too. So we, we discuss those things and, and, and again, we pass on, we talk with, uh, with Nick and them and, and what, we're going, uh, what we're hearing now from them and what, they got, what their challenges are. And I think then we try to bounce it and, Make a decision. So it's kind of the same with you because you have the offshore uh, rig contractor background as well. Right. Now you're stepping in this role as, as a leader of, of Del Mar and all that stuff. So are you? How, how is that? How is that for you? It's uh, uh it's fun. I, would uh, I, so. I guess uh, that's the best way to, to say it. But we just have a lot of good relationships, right? You remember the uh, the IEDC conferences that you go to? Oof. You finish the conference. I don't. I, don't, I, I, rem I remember going. I don't remember or, them though. That, that, uh, <laughs> look, uh, that that makes probably all three of us sitting around. Uh, all three of us sitting around this. That table. cannot happen if you let it. <laughs> yes. That means we were doing our job. <laughs> exactly. that, that's correct. Well, you know what? You know, uh, the the bar at night at you know twelve one two is when a lot of the the information really starts mm -hmm. flowing. Um, and that's when you find out, oh, this person's doing this deal and that person's doing this deal. Well, how do you team up with that person? So it's been really fun because, uh, as John uh, said, you know, these were your competitors back in the day and you knew of them, but you didn't really know them very well. Right. Now in this position, we're trying to uh, get business from all of what used to be our competitors. So it's fun getting to learn about them and how we can help them and it's uh, it's been a blast. You know, I kind of find it funny whenever it's like, you know, if I <clears throat> invite, you know, let's say two people that have competing products or something like that to to, to get together or a dinner or something right. like that, like, oh, I'm not going with them. They sell mud or they sell directional. They do. I'm not a. To me, even even on the side point of, I'm, and I brought this up earlier at, at some point, not with y'all, but I brought this up earlier. But like, even if it's like, hey, look, uh, come to you know whatever, uh, come to Dakota Shy. Uh, for a happy hour, we got this person, this person with this company. Oh, that's not my, that's not my account. I'm not going to get that. To me, if you're not knowing who your fellow colleagues are, competition and call them what competition or colleagues, call them what you want. Or if you're not going to know a customer because it doesn't fall in your um, uh, account thing, 
you're really doing yourself a disservice. You know what I mean? You need, I mean, the look, at the end of the day, we're all people, we're all friends, we're all in the same industry, in my opinion. Look, yeah, of course there's some bad apples out there. We don't have to get into that, but <laughs> but uh, but but at the end of the day, we are a, we are a community. That's correct. You know, we're an industry, we're a community, and if if you're not going to meet with someone because they they're a competitor of yours or they're a comp you know a competition, now to me, you're doing yourself a disservice because one thing we saw from COVID, it doesn't matter if you're at a super major, if you're at an independent, if you're private equity bag, if you're Wall Street, whatever that is, you're going to need those relationships. That's uh, that's correct. Which is. Why I'm uh, very pleased to hear what, what you're doing is trying to pull everybody uh, together and have those conversations. It, you know, one of the guys I had the opportunity to work for is uh, Mark Monroe. I, I, John, I know you know him, JP. Yes. I don't know if you've met him or not. But, you know, he started at Global, then Global Santa Fe. Yep. And uh, maybe it was at Santa Fe, which became Global Santa Fe. But, you know, he, he was in the space for 35 years. And uh, I had the opportunity to work for him in uh, 2010 to 2011. And then again from 14 to 17. And you know, JP, well, you know what he always used to tell me is, Nick, you, you never know. You don't know where the person you're talking to today is going to end up. You know, they may be the CEO 10 years from now. That's right. So don't ever go in there and put your nose up to anybody. Treat them uh, exactly as you would treat a CEO of another company or, you know, somebody with tremendous respect. Um, and I think people are remiss in their, their careers and their, their personal life if they don't take time to learn people's stories uh, if they don't take time to build relationships with everybody. And, and that's, you know, something that I try to carry in my life is just talking to everybody. I, I don't mind. Uh, if you can't give me business today, look, let's, let's chat about things and we may become friends and not even do business. I'm the, I'm just, I, 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 I can only echo that because I love that. So I have a, a 98 month old uh, daughter and what I try to <laughs> and do. And I love that you do the months, not the years. Hey, I think it's fantastic. Hey, we're an industry of engineers. Let them figure let it them out. Let them figure it out. Let the engineers figure it out. Okay. And that's not my job. I'm All still right. doing the math right now. Go ahead. Hey, we sell. You don't have to know that. That. Don't even try. Get, uh, another, get, get another drink of wine. Wine. Yeah. But, that, but that's the thing though. So it's like, you know, we're talking about, you know, uh, whether it's, you know, uh, someone that's in our industry or not. Uh, I, I bring it to the point where it's like, I don't care if there are people tearing your tickets to the movie theater, they're bagging groceries, yeah. they're waiting on you, or they're opening the door, or they're, they're, whatever it is, you know what I mean? You just talk to everyone, you know what I mean? Every, every single person has a cool story. It's a different story, it's a unique story. That's why I have this podcast, you know, I'll be like, hey, why don't you come on? Uh, tell us your background, and then, oh, it's not interesting. Let me ask you a question. Do you know one person in our industry that has the exact same story, how they got in the oil field? No. There's not. There's Everyone's story is different. Unique, but, yes. But I tell you, it's a, uh, that's a, one thing about our industry, right, is uh, everyone's story is so different, and everybody's career uh, trajectory is so different. Yeah, uh, it's just that's what makes it cool. That's what makes it great. But honestly, what you're doing, and I'm going to give you a, uh, a shameless plug here, is uh, listen. We met. Take it. Uh, no, I'm going to be honest. Go ahead, brother. Uh, we met in the uh, in the bar of uh, Galveston in March of 2020. Which, which bar? Uh, I can't even remember the San Louis. Yeah, the San Steakhouse. Louis bar. Thank you, thank right. you very much. That is one of the best steakhouses it's out good. there. Uh, we didn't get to eat steak that night. John had us a nice dinner at Rudy and Paco's, which was uh, fantastically uh, set up nice. with customers in the whole nine yards. We just uh, ooh, ooh, getting a little party going on. Hey, look, this, this that's what happens on Energy Crew. This thing's live. This thing's going. If this thing's happening, it's not on us. So, yes, yes, go on. I um, never flinched, did I? No, you didn't. No, okay, you didn't. You were expecting that. <laughs> but you know, I remember we, you know, we. Uh, we met at the bar March 2020. Uh, you had your wife there, I believe, Monica. Monica, yeah, that's right. So that's you good had, memory. You had Monica there, uh, and we were having a drink, and you guys were talking about how you got connected, and you were off doing something 
completely different than what you're doing now. And you said, you know what? I'm just going to kind of see where it goes. So it's really neat to keep up with your career and watch to where you're at today. Uh, coming from your history of safety and operation and sales, you're like, how can I get this guy speaking to that guy? Maybe they don't do business anytime soon, but at least they're building their network and they're, and they're moving forward. So what I think your business concept is, uh, is really, really cool. Uh, and I applaud you for doing what you do. Uh, the only Thank thing you. that I'm going to give you a little grief on, Come is on, I think this is the second uh, podcast you've had focused on offshore people. Uh, I think the first one was Tyler, uh, who yeah. is, which who we is, all like, and yeah, love. Yeah, sweet, we call him like, I, you don't, okay. I <laughs> you like it a little. Wait, is he giving you a hard time? No, no, we do. We like it a little. No, no, sweet, oh, sweet. He's, in, he's, in, he's in the States now. I, I know. Back? I, I saw that. Sweet Jones moved to Kuala Lumpur, mm -hmm. and now he, uh, he's, he's, back. he's back in the States. We'll see. He didn't even reach out. Well, I had, yeah. I had, I, he, didn't, he didn't do that to me either. He, he, he'll leave some bullshit comment like at 2, 2 a.m. our yes. time, like at 8 o'clock. But the thing is, uh, but before, you know, I had a couple people on before. You know, I had John Spath, the Talos on my previous um, podcast. Yes, yes. Okay. I had a couple people. Don't get me wrong, but here's the deal. Look, I've asked, you know, I've asked a couple of my old colleagues at Nova, and I'll call them right. out right now. Michael Bazan, he wants to come on. I want him on, Mike, if you're listening. Adam Alonzo, <laughs> he won't come on. I've asked Chris Neveling. I've asked Kirk Axon. I'm going to get uh, Carrick Payton. I want offshore representation on. So, hey, I'll tell you what. After this, if y'all want to throw out some names or give me some names and all that stuff, I will contact them. I will be more inclusive to yes. the offshore world. No, I think I think it'd be great because I think in the oil, well, I, I firmly believe in the oil and gas industry, we may be living two different lives. It is. Right? You're blowing and going out in West Texas and New Mexico and Man, we've been slogging in the offshore space since 2014. It's been headcount reduction after headcount reduction after, man, I need to increase my rates. And like, well, sorry, the market just can't dictate that. You know, you need to increase your rates. You can buy new equipment. You can maintain it. You can hire world-class people. You can do all these great things. And I feel like since 2014, the offshore market has done that. And we're trying to consolidate. And every consolidation, it's like, okay, we're going to wipe out 90% of the company. Which means for synergies, for synergies. Well, well, a lot of people don't know when you read that line, it's like, well, 150 million of synergies means that we're eliminating your entire. Oh, believe me, synergies is a is a scary <laughs> word in the oil and gas industry. Right. Yes. I always joke about that. Yes, it, I mean it, it. It truly is right. I, I've I've been through five of them in, in my short career, right, and I've been on both sides, and uh, it's it's very scary. But I do think there needs to be more awareness in the uh, in the two different markets that are out there, the land and the offshore, and you know, offshore's got some really, really cool pieces to it, and so does the the onshore. So. You know what I found the big? I mean, for, well, for, hold on, let's talk about the offshore market for a little bit because I remember, you know, um, you know, working offshore and all that stuff, and you know, Gulf of Mexico was booming, right? Macondo happened, and the MM, 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 MMS changed to BOEM or BBM, whatever that was, and it kind of got to a point where it was extremely difficult for companies to operate in the Gulf of Mexico, where the point where a lot of companies are kind of throwing their hands up like, all right, fine, we're going to move our, we're going to move our rigs out elsewhere, you know, around the world. So we kind of did that to ourselves through government. Don't get me started on that, John. But like, we kind of did that to ourselves, um, uh, doing all that. So it's still kind of a, it's still lagging behind. You're telling me. Uh, I, I think you're starting to see the, the market start to recover, but you know, we talk about politics and the, at least in the Gulf of Mexico, uh, if you're on one party, uh, it's very restrictive. If you're on another party, it's, you know, wide open. Right. And the problem with these offshore projects, as you guys remember, you know, is three to five years to first oil from discovery. Yeah. So, and that's an accelerated timeline. So how do you figure out the ebbs and flows uh, from an offshore standpoint? 
how do you do how do you do regulations too you know man you got to say well it's not a 50 dollar uh, hurdle rate it's a 70 dollar hurdle rate because i don't know what the government's gonna gonna do and i'm just making arbitrary no, numbers yeah, up, no, yeah. i'm just trying to give a illustration of what you have to what you have to do and um i don't know i wish they would uh i wish they would get consistent regulations uh, for the gulf of mexico uh, we go forward so is that, is that kind of what's going on ever since you know 2011 all that stuff i mean we had a, a completely change in the i guess offshore government bureau whatever you want to call it and so that's still kind of back and forth kind of on what, what they're expecting, what they're not expecting. Is that, is that kind of what's going on? Uh, I would say that uh, it, it is kind of going on. A lot of the operators have learned how to manage it. And right. done a fantastic job at it. Um, but, you know, when President Biden took over, you know, when his first thing was a moratorium on any federal land. Yeah. Well, that really shuts down the, uh, the Gulf of Mexico, right? Because that is majority of its federal territory. Unless you're, what, was it three miles out? Yeah, three three miles out typically to the two hundred. I love it to the two hundred uh, EEZ zone. But you know, you, you you think about all that, and you're like, man, how can they come in and say, you know, if you don't have a permit to drill already, we're going to shut you down. But I think operators have done it. They've been very flexible and adaptable as these regimes have come in and changed things around. So, what do you think is going to get? Uh, what do you think is going to get uh, the Gulf of Mexico blown and going again? That's a wonderful. Uh, you know, we 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 asked we asked on Energy Crew we asked the tough questions. I see that. Oh, I, look, uh, I love it. And there's only a right answer. I would say <laughs> something, but I, I, I'm going to hold back. Out. There I you watch go. Watch this on the Energy Secretary's response. Oh, when she laughed at the uh, yeah. yeah. So I mean, so I don't know. I mean, to be honest, I, I don't want to go down the pol- pol- politics road, but there's such a disconnect right now with reality. Well, I'm just saying it's a, it's on. an issue, and it's it's a it's a big issue. And, Take some serious thought. Not nothing to be laughed about. No, it's not. So we, it's, everybody's you know trying to do their their best to survive this. So we'll have to watch and see what they do, guys. It's gonna be a uh, interesting yeah, progression. Progression. I mean, because what we think about it was, it was ten years we've been working on this, trying to get this get the things kind of going where it's business friendly and people can kind of get but, out there safely. But drill ships are moving back. I mean, they they oh, are yeah. moving. They, they're oh, really? working yeah. in the Gulf. Yeah, they they moving Drill ships back. are working in they the go. Gulf. I just I just don't know if it's at the right. I, I'm gonna you know I don't know what the the, the appropriate rate is because you know you don't know what their internal financials are. But think about when we were in the industry, right? The day rates were five and six hundred thousand. I, I remember right. the Noble Gym day came out and that thing was like five hundred fifty thousand dollars a day. And then I think what two years later after I left, it was like two hundred. 20 or something like that, or 170. It's mind boggling. Easily. I know at the height of the, the downturn, some of these offshore, which is barely enough to keep the lights on and pay your bills. Yeah. Right? It's because your alternative is to stack it, uh, which is just a, a bad deal. But to John's it's a point, list, you, you started evils. to see the industry start to come back. I don't know what the rates the guys are making, but uh, I can assure you if it doesn't start with a three, uh, and the two zero, well, a three and five zero right. behind it, they're going to struggle to maintain the asset and pay their crews the way they need to and have your office staff and run a, a really good operation. But, you know, that's the ups and downs and the swings that, that we see in our, uh, in our market. You know, we're a little more focused from a Delmar standpoint uh, in harsh environments. So what do you uh, mean? Uh, well, we're a, we're a mooring uh, equipment provider. So for us, harsh environments are like the North, North Sea, sea yeah. uh, and then Australia. We do really well there. So we pick up the smaller business when you're under about a thousand feet uh, because we can provide the moorings, okay. those type of assets. But 
Um, Gulf of Mexico, we don't really have a lot of things going on other than some piles for the tethering BOP systems tend to be new here. Um, but, you know, business in Norway, and I'm just going to use Norway for an example, uh, you're seeing rates in the, in the 300, 350s uh, for asset classes. And the government has come in and said, you know, we want uh, people to continue to drill offshore. We find the alternatives very important, but we really need the oil and gas industry to keep our funds going. Uh, and they put in some That's really nice point. tax features for these oil and gas companies. And, you know, I hope the U.S. does the looks at them as a you know. What, I agree, I agree with that though. Look, I mean, uh, you know, a lot of times you see a lot of like you know, choose this uh, renewables or fossil fuels and all that stuff. But everyone I talk to in the, in the oil and gas industry, it's not like I mean, there's no there's an understanding of need of renewables. There's an understanding of need of you know, alternative sources of energy, but here's the deal. Don't cut out fossil fuels. Don't cut out organic earth energy, as I call it. Like, don't cut that out because it's a, it's a necess, it's a reality that we need. Yes. You know, and then the fact is that there's this disconnect that we can just turn off switch off tomorrow, but that's not the case. And I do like how Norway's saying, hey, look, let's continue to switch over, but at the same time, let's still respect kind of our livelihood, what we need to do, yeah, what we need right. to survive and all this stuff. One of the craziest things that I found from going from the offshore market to the onshore market was number one, the speed of things, how things go, whether it's a contract, whether it's getting stuff out there, whatever it is, and also the cost. I remember I went to a drill pipe company after it's like, oh, it's 11 cents per foot. I'm like, give it to them. I don't know what that means, but give it, that's nothing. I'm looking at, you know, 3 million, 5 million, like riser inspections. That's me. That's all that's big cash. People talking about 11 cents per foot. I'm like, oh, fucking get, take it. I don't care. Throw it away. <laughs> but that, but it's, it's, it's fascinating because like once, once you come to onshore, it really is like blowing and going, you know, it's, 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 it's a lot less looking down the road, planning more, you react more to market uh, environments versus planning. See, I think the offshore is, is all planning. Just because think about it. On, on a drill ship, for example, you can put up to 200, 220 people on an asset. Yeah. Uh, the groceries get brought in, uh, so does your fuel. But other than that, you're a self-sustaining unit. So you're a self-sustaining island out in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, it takes an hour to an hour and 15 minutes via helicopter to, to get to your little island that you're going to work on right. in two weeks, right? So big differences there, um, the monetary factors there. I just think there's a longer planning cycle in, in offshore. I will say this, though. Uh, everybody talks about these green shoots of excitement. And I'm like, what the hell is a green shoot? I actually had to look it up. And it's bamboo when it starts shooting up. And I was like, well, that's a stupid analogy. Whatever. Um, but you're actually really starting to see the, uh, the market uh, come back a little bit. You're seeing utilization for these ultra-deep water uh, drill ships come back. You're starting to see the utilization for harsh environment semis almost at 100%. Really? Yes. So you're, you're starting to see the offshore market starting to gain faith in what is out there. And that's, that's very exciting. Uh, at least for us, it's very exciting. I hope it's very exciting for uh, I didn't know Australia was harsh environment. Uh, it's a, uh, you know what? We're drilling in the Otway Basin right now. Uh, the Diamond Offshore, we're not drilling. Diamond Offshore is drilling. Right. We're providing services in the Otwa Basin. And we just had a 500-year storm come through. Uh, had not a one but two mooring failures. And, I mean, it rocked. It's unbelievable. Because think about it. all the, the energy comes straight from Antarctica all the way to the Atwa Basin. Okay. Because uh, there's nothing there to shield it. Yeah. Um, and we took a pretty significant storm. Um, we we uh, gave our findings uh, to Nopsema and 
had to work through those guys. And, and I'm guessing that's the government down there. It, it is. So it's like, it's like the BOEM okay. uh, from the Gulf of Mexico, but you know, so. What's that like for you? I mean, it's February 21. You take on the CEO role and all stuff. And it seems like, you know, the majority of business, obviously in international markets and all that stuff. Yes. Obviously we want more in the Gulf of Mexico, but how, how are you managing, I guess, I guess hmm. your, I guess, daily life when you, when you need to communicate to, from Norway to Australia to wherever else y'all are. Hmm. I mean, how do, how, how do you manage that? Do you want the, do you want the <laughs> truth or do you want the, uh, uh, me to fabricate what I, what I'd really like for it to be? <sighs> Let's do the truth in a fabrication of what you wish. How about okay. that? Uh, so the truth is, uh, I mean, I woke up this morning at four, uh, took care of Australia from four to four thirty. Okay. We had our business performance review meeting uh, at five thirty uh, this evening. Uh, when I get home, uh, probably about eight o'clock, I need to touch base with our manager. And so, literally, it's probably eighteen hours of work. Uh, and because the Gulf of Mexico is essentially dead. Uh, we get a lot of freedom and free time from one to about five. So it's very bizarre. Yeah, but still, you got to be responsible at five. Uh, that is correct. So it's 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 really bizarre hours. Um, that's what it is. What I try to tell everybody is we have this great work life balance, and we really want you to, to join our organization. Yeah. Uh, but you know, right now it's just a it's just a grind pulling everything together. I will tell you this though, uh, we do this acquisition. It's May twenty first. Super excited. Okay. Um, because they were a Norwegian-based company, right? We're up at three o'clock. We did the entire deal on Teams, Microsoft Teams, due diligence, interviews, the whole nine yards. Believe that? I don't so, like that. Yeah. So it's it's a uh, it's hysterical. We're buying it from a private equity group, and we did our contractual comments at like midnight and sent it sent it back to them, and we just said it is what it is. You're either going to do it or not. Uh, so a guy named uh, we will. Forgo his name, but he calls me at 3 a.m. And he says, hey, we from need- Norway, from Norway. OK, he says, hey, we need a chat. Uh, and I said, you know, no problem, because um, I knew we were getting up at 3.30 to try to close this anyway. I said, no problem. And he said, uh, we don't think that Delmar Systems is the right partner to buy our business. And this is three hours before the call. Uh, this is 30 minutes before we're supposed to have a call with all of our legal teams to do the final scrub of the document and sign off on it. Ooh, what a, what a, what a, what a move. So, no, 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 it, it, it's great because we had a fantastic law firm called Boyer Miller. Um, the two lead lawyers there, Gary Miller uh, and Lindsay Fincher, Fisher, uh, were awesome. Uh, they were, uh, actually, her name is Fincher. Sorry, Lindsay, if you're listening to this. I can't she is. She's a longtime fan. Yeah, so... Uh, <laughs> But uh, anyway, we talked about this and I said, this is our, this is our strategy kind of going into this. We're just going to say no to all their stuff. And we're just going to say, take it or leave it, you know, cause we had all the wires queued up to move all the money and do all of that. Um, and this guy calls me at three and just says, you know, I don't think Delmar's the right business partner to take the organization. So I pulled a, a, a play sheet from Terry Bono. And I, I remember having that. And I remember her saying, sometimes when your back is against the wall, just tell them no on everything and say, that's fine. We'll shut the deal down. No problem. So at 3 a.m. I told the guy, I said, well, that's, that's very unfortunate. Uh, I hate to hear that, uh, you know, we're not going to be able to buy your company. I'll, uh, I'll call our law firm and the banks and we'll shut everything down. Uh, nice speaking to you. And I hung the telephone up. Oh, without any conversation. Without any up. conversation. I just, I just hung the phone up. Alpha. Uh, I took a deep breath and I was like, oh man, what a bad mistake. You're an idiot. I cannot believe you just did that. He literally called back in, in, in two minutes and I, and I, and I just said, uh, I said, he said, well, we got, this is what he said. He said, uh, I think we lost the phone connection. 
And I said, we didn't lose the phone connection. You told me that we weren't a good business partner and there's no point to move forward. Uh, I assumed that you wanted me to call our lawyers and our banks and shut everything down. So that's what I was in the process of, of doing. And he said, no, 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 that, that's not the intent. We'll talk to you in 20 minutes. And we literally talked to him in, in 20 minutes. And you want to talk about scared to death? Uh, I like, was, he, like he botched the deal. Uh, I would have botched the deal. Yeah, if he would have said, well, not a good business partner, okay. We'd all just gone our separate ways. The deal would have been botched. Uh, and the ramifications for that, looking back on it now, were uh, massive. We couldn't get people in and out of Australia. Yeah. We would have, uh, we would have had to, um, we would have either had to tell our customer we can't service your asset anymore in Australia that if sucks. we didn't take these people up. Uh, we would have lost a lot of business in Norway. What it was, was the strategy? Uh, what was the strategy behind that? Uh, honestly, there was no strategy. Uh, we had the gold, uh, and we were writing the golden rules at that particular time. So it was what kicking you in the shin, kind of? Uh, yes. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, they were in a little financial trouble. Uh, they needed our assistance. We knew they needed our assistance. Uh, they played hardball on a lot of things. And there was about eight or nine points that, you know, we were just done negotiating on. And I knew we weren't going to move. And it's like, it, let's it, just call it. Let's just call it. Yeah. And, and, and that's what we that's what we did. And, you know, I, listen, I've had the wonderful opportunity. And I want to hear from John and JP yourself on this. But, Look, I've had the opportunity to work with just some amazing people who have seen substantially more than I have. Yep. And I stole some of their uh, some of their playbooks that night. And I do not mind saying this, but I was thinking to myself, if this doesn't work, this is not going to be good for the organization as we as we move forward. But we uh, and that was when you said you said May. May. Oh, so this is like three months in your your, your leadership role. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> You, know? you kind of want an easy, you kind of want an easy like eighteen months, kind of get settled in. No, no, no. You know no. what I mean? Kind of so, the ground running. Make, yeah. Right. No, no, no. So, so we we went to that, and literally, I'm not kidding you at all. The storm that I was talking about in Australia, uh, we had one chain failure uh, early June, the first week of June, uh, and I got a call at two a.m. saying, "Hey, listen, we've had a chain failure. They're having a, they're having to set plugs on the well." Which I'm thinking, "Oh my god, yeah. the cost that's going to come back to this, and it's our field mooring equipment." Uh, we got all that resolved uh, and there was a call there, replace all the mooring equipment or use what we have. And I was like, okay, do we have the DMV inspections? You know, did we go through the right maintenance protocol, blah, blah, blah. Um, and everybody on the team was like, let's replace it. And I said, mm -mm, we're going to stick with that equipment. I feel good about it. You know, if we have a DMV inspection, that's supposed to, you know, it's like a little make, insurance. Us, yeah, yeah. make us feel good. Yeah. Uh, I said, said, let's go for it. And it was literally three weeks later. Where we had another chain failure. And I remember getting the telephone call and the guy said, you're not going to like this. And I was like, well, shoot, man, we've already had one jail failure. And he said, well, now you, now you got a second one. And man, my heart just, it just sunk. I was like, oh my God. I almost blew the, the acquisition. I said, let's go forward with this chain. Uh, if we had the chain failure and it's technically our fault, uh, you know, my CEO tenure lasted four months. Uh, I'm done. Um, no, but hold on a second. I think this, what, is actually, this, is, this is actually a very good kind of a segue right now. John, don't get me wrong. I want to hear from you. I love no, you. No, go ahead, buddy. I'm you. listening. But this is, this, this, is, this is, I think, very important, okay? Um, so it. you're new in this role, right? You're, you are a new CEO at an international offshore mooring company, okay? Right. Uh, you have offices throughout the globe that are all this stuff. You're four months in. You're making decisions. You can't see the equipment. You can't talk to the people. You can't do X, Y, Z. How are you making these gut decisions? And, and personally, how are you, I guess, not set, you know, when you're, 
I can't even order an appetizer without knowing it's the right appetizer. You know, that's just me. That's just me. My decision. That's one of my tattoos. I just don't know what I'd like for that. So making decisions such like this that are so impactful to the company, you're so fresh in your role. I mean, how are you making these decisions and kind of, I guess, moving forward with that, not kind of uh, uh, tiptoeing around or second guessing or doubting or anything like that? I, I'll tell you, it's really, uh, it, it's really, I always put things in buckets of three, but I can only do it in buckets of two now. Uh, the first one is the uh, the leadership lessons I learned. Okay. Right. They, they have a saying, you know, get seventy percent of the uh, the information and make a decision. You know, so many times people have uh, paralysis by analysis, uh, and they just sit there and they look at the data without making a decision. You know, I I looked at the DNV reports. Uh, I had a, a great team offshore, a great team in Australia. I just said, guys, did we inspect it the way it should be inspected? said yes we did here's all the certs not we got inspected not once but twice because we had little concerns about it i said okay i, I feel really good uh, and the second thing is, is is the lessons i've learned from the people that i've worked with. um it, you know we go back to building your network and your relationship you can learn something from anyone that's out there uh you know yes you can have education via academics but some of the best educations you're going to get are the lessons that other people have learned and that have decided to pass that on to you. Um, and I've just been really fortunate to work with great people. And, you know, in, in that particular instance, I, I'm really thankful for the military and I'm thankful for everybody that I've been able to, to report to and, and learn from. And that's really how we made those decisions. Um, you know, I, uh, the, the walk away strategy is a typical Terry Bono strategy. She, uh, she's an awesome, leader in the industry. She taught me a tremendous amount. And if you ever had to negotiate against her, I feel really sorry. Um, and then, you know, the, uh, the army taught me a lot. So one thing that you're kind of, you're touching on and kind of, you know, kind of where you fall in my line too, is like mentorship, Yes, mentorship. in the, I feel like mentorship in the offshore industry is more prevalent. Maybe I was younger there, but I mean, John, I'm not just saying this, like you, to me, were an inspiration when I was, you know, 25, 26, 27, 28, like, Thank you. it was, and I'm being serious about that. Yeah. Like you, oh, you were the one that made me want to, first off, you know, stay in the oil and gas industry because I'm only two years in you know, and all that stuff. Right. But not only that, get into sales and marketing, the mentorship side of the oil and gas, the, the offshore oil and gas industry, I feel is much more prevalent, maybe because the lessons take a lot longer to learn. So knowledge in the offshore industry is much more, it's, it's, it's more revered, respected, whatever you want to say. So, I mean, that's, I mean, so I feel like mentorship is huge. You've got to have one. I mean, everybody got to have, uh, got to have it. Uh, and that's what it's all about. You remember your mentor? I do. What, what stories you got on your mentor? Well, I, I mean, one of my, uh, I mean, Lewis Duggar was, was really my, he was really my. Mentor. Really? Yes. He was tough, but he was, he was, good and uh, learned a lot from this guy how did you learn about sales i mean f for me look you know there's technical sales which they know they know the data and all that stuff and then there's the the, the relationship personal side of sales and you have you are so good at uh, uh i watch talking I, to people yeah, i watch i watch people and it's like nick saying you watch you learn i've watched the best i mean i've seen some of the best and i've watched them and you pick up what what you think you can can pick up from them I mean, you can't copy somebody exactly. You own everybody has their own. You got to be yourself. Got to be yourself. And uh, you know, I was told something uh, uh, that I think was critical when when I was a young man. I said, 
you only have your reputation at the end of the day. And I listened to that. He said, when you're doing a negotiation with a contract, you represent your company. But at the end of the day, it's your reputation. And don't forget that. I remember you and telling I told, I you I told me you. that, and I actually tell people that too. I say all you have is your name, all you have is your reputation, it. because that's that's it. you're right. You might be negotiating for you, you, brought, you want to negotiate hard for your company. I know everybody wants to get what they want for the company. But at the same time, as you, if you if you you know throw a, a sucker punch or a sour deal at someone, they're going to be like, okay, John Murphy, you screwed me up. I remember that guy. Right. So when you when you're doing those negotiations, you being tough, you got to be right. Yeah. You, know, you better be right, and at the end of the day, it's your reputation. But again, that's what I like about this industry. It's small. You, we were talking about this earlier before we started this podcast. It's it's very important that you, uh, you know, listen and you you learn from other people. You and still, I'll, I'll tell you one thing. You got to man the shit. You working with your friends. You I, I mean, talking I, to your friends. Everybody tells like, everybody says they want to aspire to the job I have now, and I was under a lot of pressure. You know, when I was there at Noble, it was a lot oh, of yeah. pressure. Everybody was everybody and every Nick, everybody everybody has their own pressure in their yep, company. Yep. But this particular job, it's it's the it's the mentor thing. I get to I get to talk to engineers and and young salesmen, and I enjoy doing that. And I, I try to pass on you know my experience to them. I would and kill I, and I would, if I was in sales at Del Mar. It, it, you're my mentor. It, it's, it's just it's fun, and I like to do it. And uh, I got an opportunity to do it, which is rare. You know that you get to do something that you really love, and you enjoy. You and I enjoy. You it. enjoy mentoring. You enjoy sharing your knowledge and sharing kind of what you've yeah. learned. I mean, I, mean, I, I thought way. I was going to retire and right off to the sunset and never be in this business again. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm back in and, and I love it. I mean, I'm around young people that that really want to learn, and 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 some of them that really, you know, this is their future. I mean, it's a scary time, and we we've all been through scary times. I mean, hell. Uh, Back in my day, from the '80s to now, there's a lot of a lot of cycles. Okay, happen. so let's let's touch, let's touch on that a little. How bit. How many cycles do you think we had? Ten. Ten. There's I'm, been I'm, a ton. I'm, I'm, I'm I mean, I'm, I'm saying there's been five bad ones. I know. Ten probably. So yeah. let me ask you a question: is, is this cycle worse than anything that you've seen before? I mean, how would you compare it to kind of uh, previously the stuff that you've seen? That you I, I tell you what, this one is. Uh, uh, you know, we had it just as uh, in my day. Uh, Especially in the early 80s, you know, gas was, was low and oil price was low. Everything was bad, and a lot of companies were struggling to survive. But that's because of the of just the supply and demand. It just wasn't, you know, wasn't there. Right. But uh, now it's you're dealing with the government against you. You're dealing with the, 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 the media environment, the media, the, the narrative. everything. The, the whole narrative. narrative is against you. I mean, I'm like, whoa. So to me, I think this is scary. It's, really? It's, it's the bigger... Uh, bigger fight you know a bigger uh, well let me so let me ask you a question what can we do as an industry right now i mean based on everything kind of going against us and all yeah. that stuff and look whether it is or isn't i, I see it that it is there you okay go. so you've seen a lot of people right? and, and and i think you know stuff like this stuff like you know telling stories stuff like you know whether it's media getting people out there kind of getting the, the, the human side of our industry Yes, what you're doing whatever yeah. and all stuff so what, what other stuff can we do as an well, industry or as you want to support you want to support each other yeah. i mean you really got to and uh, and uh, you got to discuss what you've learned yeah. with each other. You, yeah. you have to share those that knowledge with each other, and that'll get you through it. It will it will pass. You'll look behind this one day and go, "Wow, man. this was bad." But or you know, or we just a tougher time. You're like, man, I remember 2020. Yeah, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> Shit, I wish I had that this day. <laughs> exactly. So you don't know what you're gonna get. But, right. 
Exactly. But you got to just be, you know, you got to share it with each other and talk through it. But what you're doing, I think, is unique because uh, you learn from different companies. You don't have to be in the same industry. I don't have to just deal with drilling contractors. But I do get to see the operators sometimes. I do get to see the service people from other companies. Everybody got a story to tell and everybody got a problem that they're trying to deal with. But I know somebody. Nick knows somebody, you know somebody. Yeah. So everybody knows people that can help. And so you try to get people directed. And that's really what I'm doing now is, is trying to direct uh, when I hear something, you know, Nick, we need to follow up with this one or that one. I'm, I'm not actually doing all of it, that, you know, but we get it done. And you got engineers that can follow up. We've got things that we can do. So that's, it's fun. What's been, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say that, you know, uh, so typical when we, when we get into these And they always start with the most seasoned and experienced yeah. person, which I think is absolutely, uh, which I think is absolutely ridiculous uh, some days and sometimes, because everybody needs to have a John Murphy, uh, yeah, at their organization, and, and I mean that uh, very, very genuinely, because he goes and talks to his engineers, and he's like, okay, guys, you gotta this. like I know you love, you're, I know you're an introvert, and I know you love to stay behind that computer right. and run your numbers all day long and your simulations, but you got to go sit down with the customer to understand. Uh, that's where John uh, really helps out. The new sales teams that we have coming through, so the younger generations like us, uh, JP, uh, he can sit down and say, no, you're, you should look at it this way. Maybe you should do that and not, not this. But everybody should have a, a John Murphy or, or like in the organization. And I think uh, people who are leading organizations should really think about you know, when you do downsize is, is cutting the experience, the, the right thing. Well, I'm kind of, I'm kind of nervous about that because that's what you're seeing right now. Yeah. I mean, you're seeing a lot of people that have been, well, also another thing about our industry, we don't retire people. People all continue to work and all stuff. But the thing is though, right now you're seeing a lot of experience is it, it was the great crew chain. When I started off at Noble, it was like, Oh, there's great crew change. It was like, Oh, five, Oh, six. That shit hasn't happened until this year. Pretty much. I mean, it's constantly, we've had experience, we've had experience, we've had experience, but I think right now we're kind of in this uncomfortable, fresh zone where the knowledge has left. And I don't think we understand kind of the implications of, look, we have all, we have this new technology, which is exciting. We have the data, we have this, we have that, we have AI or whatever, all that stuff. Right. But there's a lot of, you know, feel of, you know, when your hands on the brake, what to expect and all that stuff. I mean, there's, there's the human element of it too, I think is crucial. I agree. And you're right. People are getting rid of a lot of the, 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 but I also think there's a lot of, a lot of, um, I was talking to my buddy on the way up here, you know, there's not a lot of the f younger generation kind of being plugged in. There's like this sweet spot right here, but you know, this is being retired and there's not a lot of recruiting on this, on this level right here. It, you know, I, we would love to find a couple young, really driven individuals just wanted to go into sales yeah, uh, and right. let them rotate through our, through our organization because we're the same way, right? The majority right. of people that work at our organization are 40 and above, right? I don't, uh, we have, uh, we may have the occasional, you know, mid twenties or mid thirties right. person, but for the most part, it's 40 and above, right? Which means that are we just, you know, gonna in 20 years, not, not have anybody, yeah. not pull anybody through succession planning, not do any of that. So that's a, that's a concern that, that we think about. What would really. what would bring uh, younger generations to our industry? You know, I, I think uh, I think there's so many uh, social pressures to be in the oil and gas industry. I think those have to subside some. Right, right. If you're if you're 20 years old uh, and you don't know shit from Shiola, uh, 
That was me. Yeah, you know, it was me. It was me as well, right? So and, you first generation oil field? Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. Are you? Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in Connecticut. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, first generation. I got my field. master's in France, bro. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, good for. That's why. That's why we're drinking. That's why we're drinking good <laughs> New World California wine. There's no Pinot Noir. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Watered yeah, down yeah, wine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, we're, we're, we're now drinking, we're now drinking red man chew. So it's uh it's fantastic. That's right. Um, but I, but I tell you, it's uh you know, I don't know how you, I don't know how you attract people. Honestly, if, if you're always going to be the villain and you're not driving your electric car now, you're, you're, you're a bad person. Yeah. Um, I just, I, I really struggle with it and I wish there was new ways to do it. And look, we're an offshore mooring company. We're yeah. agnostic to what we moor. We'll moor a drilling rig. We'll moor, you know, this table. We'll moor this wine bottle. We'll moor a, a windmill. Uh, if That's we, a whole field right there. I'll yeah. moor. We'll <laughs> yeah. moor. I'll moor it. Hey, look, if we can make money off of it, we'll moor it. I, I don't care. Yeah. How much, speaking of more, so more. Yes. Tell me about that. How much, te- so I'm seeing this huge influx of technology coming in the oil and gas industry, whether it's AI, whether it's this, whether it's that, whether it's, you know, uh, real time, this and that stuff. How much technology is being, I guess, in the in, in the mooring world or the or the offshore world that you're seeing, kind of that you're excited about? Uh, mooring specifically, um, you know, we've developed a tool called the Rig Anchor Release, um, and it's uh, we call it the RAR Plus to condense it, of course. But it's an acoustic based technology that uh, allows you to get off location uh, of a moored asset. In a you can really do it from eight minutes to an hour, depending on how you release the acoustic. How's that, how's that work? So uh, just think of a, uh, we'll make it very simplified, a chain link yep. uh, that has a breaking point that's run off of acoustic technology. So you drop a transducer in the water. It sends a low frequency radio signal to that chain link. And it says, okay, this is the right, you know, this is the frequency, right signal. Yeah. This is the right frequency. I can now uh, break that link. Uh, and what it'll do is it parts, uh, I'm, I'm simplifying it, but, uh, I need it simplified. Yeah. It, 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 it essentially disconnects in half. Uh, and now you're no longer moored to the, uh, to the sea floor. Your, uh, your mooring equipment drops to the sea floor. You bring the brains of the RER back into the fair lead into what we call a trigger sleeve. And then you can mobilize to your next location. That's we're, interesting. We're really excited about it. And I'll tell you some reasons why, uh, one, uh, if you have shallow gas, you can get off the well like that. So eight, you, can, so you, you said can, eight minutes to an that, uh, That's pretty quick. Uh, it's about eight minutes to an hour. So wow. eight, eight minutes would be releasing all eight to 12 lines. Emergency. Uh, an emer- right, emergency right, right. type deal, right? You just hit the button from a moored aspect, you're, you're done. Uh, we're seeing it takes probably about 30 to 40 minutes to get uh, non-emergencies uh, releases. Um, and then your mooring equipment hits the seafloor uh, or you want buoyancy so it doesn't hit infrastructure on the seafloor. Uh, you're, you're, uh, you're, you're good to go. This is a stupid question. No, I love, no I love stupid questions. questions. So the, the, the more equipment, the acres and all that yes. stuff, the more is what they, uh, they have, uh, what is it? So uh, you know where they're at. They have, uh, buoys? we have, we have, we have buoys, uh, but we also model all our engineering team models where it's going to fall, gotcha. how it's going to fall. So we know exactly okay. where the, so it's not it's not hide and seek. You're not just no. It's always controlled. Okay. Everything's controlled. Uh, everything is completely controlled. Okay, uh, we it. do an engineering analysis after we've installed the engineering, and we do it as built is what we call it. So we know exactly where every single component is in that particular. So okay, so when it comes to technology on the on the on the mooring side mm-hmm. of things, what other stuff is kind of I guess uh, pushing the envelope when it comes to that stuff? Because that right that right there that piece of technology is pretty interesting. I feel like there's a lot of technology out there. What to you would make you kind of 
listening more to, to a, a new piece of technology that, or a new style of technology that, has, that would interest you? I tell you what, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, we've really taken care of the unmooring piece of getting off a, a location. It would be interesting to see how you moor onto a location without anchor handling vessels. Because when you go onto a location, your anchor handling vessel is the most expensive asset that you have in the field other than drilling. So if we could figure out how to moor the asset and tension it uh, and get it to the right tensions to keep that asset on location, uh, that would be really interesting. Okay. And, you know, shameless plug for uh, Ryoff Anchors, which is a, is a subsidiary of Delmar Systems. We've developed a thing called the Stev Adjuster. Stev Adjuster? Yes, sir. It sits right on your mooring lines. Uh, it's almost like a ratchet strap. So think of it from that concept. Okay. So you can use any boat or you can use the uh, the uh, crane that's on the rig to pull up on the ratchet strap. And what it does is it pre-tensions your line. We developed it for the offshore floating wind market, but uh, you could use you could use it in drilling applications. Uh, well. So how do you loosen that? Uh, so you pull it up, it ratchets it up. I mean, how do you loosen that? Oh yeah, it's this, it's so same same deal. You send an ROV down there, you pick it up, and what it does is it's got a, uh, it's a, a, a gate that's essentially yeah. inside of the gear. Yeah. The ROV pulls the gate back and it, it slacks off. That's pretty that cool. Uh, that's pretty neat. So I dig that. Yeah. Different technology, right? So we're, we're, what we're trying to John, do. And, John, why don't you move your chair over here? We're, we're, we're going to wrap no, up no, in about five ahead. minutes. No. Uh, and, and what we try to do, uh, in all fairness, uh, at Delmar is I tell everybody, how do we make dumb iron smart? So that's what our engineering team is really working on. Uh, we own a uh, an R and D company called InterOcean in San Diego. We also own Ryoff Anchors in Amsterdam, uh, and both of those are our big R and D vehicles. Uh, and we're taking two different perspectives, right? We're getting that European flavor, and we're Fantastic. getting that California flavor. Yeah. And then they're throwing all of their technology into Delmar Systems, uh, and we call it enabling technology to make your more intelligent. You got a pretty good gig. You know what I, what I like about that? It's like, first off, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying good is easy, but I'm saying like the fact that you get to deal with such an international presence. Interma look, I'm not the really 18 cool. hour time things. Hey, if you're in sales, it's 24 hours. But what I'm saying is you get to talk to Australia, Norway, you get to hear from different, I guess, uh, parts of the world, kind of what's going on with, because everything kind of trends differently, you know, right. depending on what world. So I, I, I love the fact that you're able to kind of, you know, be the, 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 chef of this, of this international kitchen, kind of put your own spices in the, in the mix and right. kind of manage it that way. I think that's pretty exciting. It's a, look, it's a really, really fun, but, but I'll tell you this, uh, every chef has some really, really good sous chefs beside them. <laughs> uh, and, and we've got a fantastic team all, all the way from our chief operating officer to everybody who works on, uh, on these boats to make sure that it's installed properly. You know, I'm just up there, uh, pointing people in the right direction on what we should and shouldn't do. Right. And they're executing it flawlessly and making the customer satisfied. I would say happy, but we really struggle to make customers happy unless we give it to them for free. Uh, so it's a satisfied. Uh, they still complain about that. That's correct. If you're in sales long enough, they're complaining about it free. <laughs> uh, that is correct. That. But I tell you, it's, it's all about your people. Um, if you have good people, your company's going to be successful. Yeah. Uh, if you have bad people, man, it's going to be a tragedy. And John, what do you got? Well, I want to hear from you. Obviously, we got the sun coming in. We come. We talk about an hour and eleven minutes. I think they're going to need this room a little bit. Okay. So, uh, I know you're sitting there with blinders on. So, kind of uh, real quick, why don't you kind of give us a little kind of a 
an overview, not an overview, just kind of a, some food for thought kind of uh, to, to the you know the younger generation also and kind of give some pointers on sales because to you, I see relationships mattering. I see being yourself, being honest, being truthful right. with people and building those relationships matter. So kind of uh, okay. walk us out. Well, I'll, I'll start with that because that's what I'm, I love so much. Sales is, uh, uh, I'm fortunate I get to actually uh, spend time with young people you know, and then, and you, you thrive on, uh, watching them want to learn something and yeah. that makes it fun. And I'm looking at some hands right now, keeping the sun out of my eyes. That's that what we do for it, you, that brother. That makes it nice. But no, but being with the young people is what it's all about. And, and they got a lot to, to learn, but they want to learn. So that makes this job easy. And sales, you just got to love it. You got to be honest, love it. And uh, have fun. try to accomplish what you what you're after, and that's to get the job or or get the product or market whatever you're trying to do. Uh, but basically, uh, for me, that's it. I mean, that's it's just something you gotta want to do. And you, some people have that naturally, and some people they don't. Uh, some people not comfortable with it. Yeah. And some people are. You're comfortable. With I got one. I got, I have one last question for you. Yeah. You and me, sales yeah. team, question. Deadly or deadly or dangerous? So dangerous. Oh man, that would be too much fun. <laughs> we we almost got there, didn't we? We, we almost, almost got. got you know, it's, it's fate that we did it because if we if you and I were on the same team in sales, ooh, yeah, exactly. Would, ooh, nothing would stop us, but well, we would be our. It's not because uh, we didn't our, try. That's right. Exactly. We did try. Wait, we, wait, time time out here. Uh, we're, we can hire. I mean, it's we can put the, we can put the dynamic duo together. I, I think I'm hearing you say you drive revenue by at least a hundred to two hundred. I don't think I don't think I don't, I don't think either that. I don't think either of our spouses would like that. No, they would not. Up. No. <laughs> hey, uh, speaking of spouses, though, I, I do want to say this. Uh, I've I've met Monica before. I've met Rhonda before. Uh, Skyla's my wife. I think we should give them some recognition of uh, supporting us on a day to day basis uh, because I can tell you. If it wasn't for my wife, she's at home wrangling a three-month-old and a two-year-old. And when my daughter from a previous marriage comes over, she handles all of that. And uh, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be able to do what I love. You got to have the support day in you and day out. So the support network is huge. I'll give a shout too. I mean, my my wife, uh, she came in um, uh, to my life, and she came to Evelyn's life, and immediately off the bat, she, you know, I mean, the it's thing awesome. about thing about bonus parents or step parent, we call them bonus parents. You know what I mean? Because right. it's bonus love. Right. So the thing with her, it's like. She doesn't tolerate my child. She doesn't deal with her or like, okay, I love her. But there's a genuine bond. There's a genuine love between them. And, and not only that, but the support she gives me, kind of what I'm doing right now, venturing out on my own. She's been helping out too, whether it's the podcast, whether it's this and that. She, having a strong teammate, spouse, oh, yes. significant oh, other yeah. is. And I, and you I don't make it this, without it. Bro. That's, that's you will right. not make it without it. And no. I know that. And Miss Ronna said, tell you hello. You know that. Well. Well. We tell they her, really, I said hello. We need to have dinner. Exactly. We need to do that. On you. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you heard it here. <laughs> do you agree to that? I agree. Yeah. Okay. You heard it here. That's do you, right. you have a shout out to Rhonda? I said Rhonda. That's it? Love Miss Rhonda. There you go. There you go. Everyone loves Miss Rhonda. There you go. So um, anyway, everyone, I want to thank you all for uh, Do you have anything else to kind of uh, to plug, talk about, or anything like that? No. No, sir. I think, I think enjoyed you, it. Thank you very much. I, I really, really enjoyed it. No, no, I was going to say, we're going to have to have a round two, right? We, we <laughs> drank the Cab Sav, but we haven't gotten the Pinot. We'll do the, it's, it's Pinot season. I will definitely I love a round two. Uh, with y'all uh, pop podcast here in a couple of months and all this stuff. But fellas, I, I thank y'all for coming on. John, it's always, I, I'm just, I'm still kind of 
in awe that we're sitting here together great kind to of enjoying some wine and bullshit. You've been one of the people that I've looked up to my entire career, uh, even to this day. You're the ability of how you connect with people and how you talk to people and how you treat people. That's something that kind of Thanks, resonates buddy. with me. Thank so you. I dig it. And you, Nick, I love it. We got, we, we started off the same way, but different That's career right. paths, but here we are enjoying fine wine together. So thank you for hosting us. And, uh, Fellas, uh, I look forward to kind of uh, continuing this uh, relationship and uh, another uh, glass of wine. And uh, everyone, thanks for tuning in, Energy Crew, and we'll talk to you all soon. Mm-hmm.